0: Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca.
1: Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things, so again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has been committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. Then the the written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels along with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him also heaped insults on him.
0: he We've just listened to uh, the account of Jesus' crucifixion from the Gospel of Mark. And one of the really interesting things about this account is that there's a theme that runs runs strong through this whole story that we've just heard. Something more than the fact that merely that Jesus was, was killed or crucified. But it's the theme of mocking. That throughout this whole passage we hear Jesus being mocked and sneered at and insulted and shamed. And his dignity was, in a very literal sense, stripped away from him. Uh, he was mocked and, and, and made fun of, essentially, by people from almost every sector of society. And so we see in this account the soldiers that were with him. Right? They, they take a bunch of thorns from a bush, they twist them together in the form of a crown, and they press it into his head. And then they find a purple robe, probably one of the robes that the soldiers had themselves. They put it on him as this kind of mock robe, this robe of royalty. They found a reed somewhere, and they put it in his hand as this mock scepter. And then it says they got down on their knees, and they bowed down, and they said, Hail the King of the Jews. And then they got back up, and they beat him. When he was nailed to the cross, right, we're told that a sign was nailed above him. It was a title that was given to him, a mocking title that said, King of the Jews. It tells us that uh, there were people, there were people passing by and and watching this whole thing. And probably a lot of these people were people that had seen Jesus beforehand and seen some of the things that he had said and done. And it says, they mocked him too. It says, they hurled insults at him. It says, look at him. They they said, look at this guy. Wasn't this the guy that said he would destroy the temple and then build it back up in three days? And now look at you, you're hanging on the cross. Man, if if you said you could do that, why don't you come down from the cross yourself? It says even the the teachers and the chief priests, these are supposed to be some of the most pious people in the community. And it says they mocked Jesus too. They said, look at you. You saved others while you were out there walking around doing your thing. You saved others and now you can't save yourself. If you are who you say you are, why don't you come down off that cross so that we can see for ourselves and then we'll believe. And then it says, even even the two men, one on his left and one on his right, who were being crucified along with him. It says, even they, they heaped insults on him. It's fascinating. It's fascinating that Mark includes this in his whole account. And it's fascinating that the people around Jesus would have been filled with so much like hatred, animosity, like indignance toward Jesus. Why did they mock him so much? What was behind all of that? And we can hear it in in the mocking itself, the reasons that they were mocking him. They weren't mocking him. They weren't insulting him for the, 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 the miracles that he had done, all the good things that he had done over the time of his ministry. They weren't mocking him for the things that they had taught. What they were mocking him for were the claims that he made about himself. Because while he was alive, while he was going around teaching and healing and doing miracles, he said things about himself that brought about a kind of indignance and hatred from other people, things that people didn't want to hear and things that ended up getting him on the cross. He said that he was the king. He said that he was the savior, this Messiah king who was sent from God to bring about God's kingdom somehow on earth. He was going to bring about God's reign, God's justice, God's peace somehow on earth. And that God was the one that had sent him. And now all of these people... People that had heard the things that he had said were looking at him hanging on the cross. And there couldn't be a more dissonant picture. There couldn't be a more disconnected picture from all of the things that Jesus said about himself and the picture that they had of this man hanging there on the cross. And so for all of these people who were watching him, um, the cross really pointed to all of the reasons that he could never be the king that he said he was. Because this simply doesn't happen to a king. This simply couldn't happen to the kind of Savior, Messiah, King that the people were looking for, that the people were waiting for, that the people had expected. The image of the kind of Messiah that they had in mind was certainly nowhere near anything like Jesus was. They were looking for someone who would come not from a position of poverty or weakness or obscurity. They were looking for someone who would probably come from a position of power and wealth. Like a political leader or or a mighty warrior who would come with horses and chariots leading an army to kind of overthrow Rome. Right? Rome was the oppressive nation that was over them. The people of Israel certainly were not a free people by any sense. And so they were looking for, they were, they were longing for, they were expecting a kind of king that would be sent from God, that would come in power, that would come with might, that would come preferably with armies to take out Rome and to lead Israel into a whole new time of freedom and of peace and of God's justice. And Jesus, especially now that he's hanging there on the cross, he comes nowhere near to fitting any of the images, any of the expectations that the people had for a king. In fact, a lot of the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, they confirmed just the opposite, right? He was someone who got down on his knees, took a wash basin and towel, and washed his friend's feet. This was the role of a servant. This was the role of the lowest person in the home, not the role of a king. He was one when he came into Jerusalem less than a week before, right? His triumphal entry, that's what we call it. A triumphal entry is something that kings do when they're returning home from battle. They come in horses and chariots, leading a whole procession of warriors, kind of announcing their return, announcing their victory. What does Jesus do? He comes in riding on on a young donkey that he didn't even own, that wasn't even his. Kings don't do that. And certainly kings don't expose themselves to suffering, to pain, being beaten and whipped and tortured and mocked and nailed to a cross. This isn't what kings do. And so they mocked him. They said, if you're you're the king that you say you are, come down from that cross. If God was with you, there's no way that this would be happening to you. And so the cross pointed to all of the reasons that Jesus could never be the kind of king that they were expecting. And so they said, you know, they said, like, if you're this hero, if you're this king, then show us your greatness. They they almost dared him, right? More than once in this passage, it says they dared him to come down from the cross. Because you know why? Because kings conquer. That's what kings do. And they said, so if you're the king, conquer the cross. Come down from there. Free yourself and then go after the Romans who put you there. Because that's what kings do. Because they wanted this great king. They wanted this king of power. And when they looked at Jesus, they saw anything but. And yet, we know that the problem that they had was even though they were looking for this king of greatness and this king of power, is that they just didn't realize how great, they just didn't realize how powerful Jesus really was. Because they were looking for someone who would show his power, someone who would show his greatness by coming off of the cross, And yet we know that Jesus was the one who showed his power and showed his greatness by staying on the cross. Because in the cross, it was the greatest act of love. It was the greatest act of power that has ever been done in the history of the world. Because something very real, something very real happened when Jesus hung on the cross. Something so amazing that the rest of the New Testament, I mean, at times it almost seems like the the, the New Testament is straining for words to actually describe how great an event happened when Jesus hung there on the cross. It's all over the place. Authors and writers of these letters and books in the New Testament trying to explain the kind of power that was displayed when Jesus hung there on the cross. And so I want to just read you two short passages that I think give us a really powerful kind of description of what really was going on, of the kind of power that nobody else saw, but that was really happening when Jesus stayed on the cross. One of them is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. This is what it says. It says, You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. And this is how he did it. It says, He canceled the record of the charges against us, and took it away how by nailing it to the cross in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross another really fascinating verse and i think speaks to this as well i'm going to unpack them both for you just briefly But it's from 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And these two verses together, they actually tell us what kind of power was being displayed when Jesus chose not to come down from the cross, but to stay on the cross. Because Jesus was the Holy One. He was the King. He was the one without sin. And, we, and Pastor Sundar unpacked what that, that whole idea of holiness last week. This idea that Jesus was the one who was cut from a different cloth, in a sense. He was, he was a cut above the rest. He's the only one who's ever lived who really was without sin. And yet this tells us that the one who was without sin somehow on the cross became sin for us. And so when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the reality is that it was sin that was being nailed to the cross. It was sin that was being crucified in a very real way. It wasn't something that anyone could see visibly, but it was something that was definitely happening. And this is what led. This is what leads us to know that Jesus was doing the most powerful act that had ever been committed on earth. Because when sin was nailed to the cross, all of the power that comes along with sin was also nailed with it. All of the. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? All of the shame and the blame that comes along with sin was nailed to the cross when Jesus was being nailed to the cross. This is what. This is the power that sin has in our lives, right? The power of shame. The power in us that makes us want to cover up, that makes us want to hide or conceal, hide all of our, our imperfections, our shortcomings, cover up all of the different things that we've done wrong. And the power of blame, that when our sin does get exposed, the tendency that we all have to point the finger, to take the condemnation off of ourselves and put it on someone else so that we don't feel so bad. This is the power of sin. And the scripture tells us that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he became sin for us. And so it was actually sin that was being nailed to the cross. And all of the power of sin was actually being crucified itself in that moment. This passage in Colossians says that it was being disarmed and it was being defeated. And so as Jesus himself was being stripped down naked... Disarmed himself, defeated himself, nailed to the cross. This passage is telling us that it was sin that was being disarmed. Its power was being taken away and it was being defeated. It no longer had the power to rule over our lives. And so we see Jesus being mocked here. We see him being jeered at, ridiculed, exposed. And it says that just as Jesus was being shamed, just as he was being mocked, Just as he was being stripped, literally, this is exactly, this is the picture that we have of what was happening to sin. Sin was being exposed. It was being shamed publicly. It was being stripped of all of its power. And it was being killed. And friends, we need to remember this. Because I think we spend so much time in our lives actually rehearsing the language, like like the inner language that goes on in our minds, often so much of that inner dialogue is focused on the power of sin. We actually allow the power of sin, the power of shame and blame to rule so many of our thoughts. And the message of Good Friday is that sin was nailed to the cross, that we have this picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, but actually it's a picture of sin being defeated, being publicly exposed, being rendered powerless. We need to remember this. Because we need that inner dialogue in our own minds and hearts to change. You know, to say, no, sin is not the king anymore. Sin has in fact been killed. Jesus is the king. Because Jesus was killed, he's the king. And so all the people looked at Jesus and they saw the cross as the thing that pointed to all of the reasons that he could never be king. And yet we know that the cross is actually the thing that points to all of the reasons that he must be king. That he has to be king because this is actually what he did. Because it was in his weakness, in his suffering, in his death that he showed just how great he was. It was in his weakness, it was in his suffering, and it it was in his death that he did all of the things that a good king does. Because what did he do? It was on the cross that he went to war for his people. And it was on the cross that he fought a battle for us that we could never fight on our own. Friends, we don't have the power within us to be able to overcome sin or all of its power in our lives. We simply don't. But he does. And he fought that battle for us on the cross. And he won. And so he's a king that conquered. Not just another uh, earthly kingdom or king that would come and go as they all do. He conquered a king for eternity. He conquered the king of sin and death and Satan. He conquered those rulers This passage says that he actually exposed them for the frauds and the shams and the villains that they are, and he rendered them powerless. It says he was putting them on display for all of us to see that their power has been taken away. And so on Good Friday, friends, this is what we celebrate. We celebrate that sin itself has been stripped bare, that sin itself has been disarmed and defeated And whenever we feel that voice coming into our spirits or into our minds that says, no, sin has to keep you down, we say, no, those words have no power anymore. There's a new king who's ruling. There's a new king who's conquered. And so in a very real way, friends, Good Friday is actually Jesus' coronation day. It's the day that he was crowned king. Literally, it's the first time in his life that he had a crown put on his head. It was a crown of thorns but we know that that's actually a crown of glory that was given to him because it was on the cross that he was crowned king because he actually gained victory for us. And so we say, yes, this is Good Friday. This is Good Friday because the king has come. He has rescued us from the power of sin. He has rescued us from the power of a king that once had control over my life but no longer does. And so we come into his kingdom, literally. We come into his kingdom, into his new way, into a new kind of freedom and hope and life that this king offers. So we celebrate. That's why we call this day Good Friday. So a minute, in, a, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to take part with me in communion. And what I, what I want to do is actually invite you to take part in this as, as in a sense, a, a celebration meal, as, a, in a sense, like a coronation banquet, that as we feast on the, on the body and the blood of Jesus, that we're actually feasting on, on, on the celebration meal of his victory. Because when he was broken, as his body was broken, as his blood was shed and poured out for us, this is exactly what he was doing to sin. This is exactly what he was doing to the power of sin. He was breaking it. The king was killed so that... the the power of sin so that that king of sin would be killed on our behalf so that we could live with this whole new king. As we wrap up the service this morning, just know that you're going from Good Friday, but in two days you'll be back for Easter Sunday. So I want to bless you just with the the knowledge um, that Jesus actually did show his power by coming off of the cross. He did show his power by coming off of the cross, just not in any of the ways that we expected it. And so I want to bless you not only with that knowledge, but that knowledge so that it will fill the words that you allow to play over in your mind and your heart. Because I think so far, like so all too often, all too many of us, we actually live life in defeat. We believe that sin has a power to keep us down, that sin and brokenness have a power to actually be uh, in a very real way kind of king over our lives but they have a power to guide and direct and shape the direction of our lives, the words that we speak, the way, the things that we do. And so I want to bless you as, you as you reflect and move toward Easter Sunday with the knowledge that Jesus himself has the power. He has come off of the cross, and he has conquered sin, so that you don't need to live under the power of sin and brokenness anymore. You live under the power of a new king. Would you receive that this morning? Amen.